We started a new series last week. It's called My Story. And we're trying to figure out what are our stories? How do we unpack our stories? Because we're all in this room this morning and we're going to be here together for another, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. And we've all got somewhat different stories because we've all lived different lives. And at the same time, we've got tons of commonalities to our stories. And so last week we said that what we want to do is we want to try to unpack all of our stories. If we were to boil down our stories, what would those common things be? And we said that we could do that by taking a look at the life of a guy in the Bible named David. And if you know David and you've heard some of his stories, you've maybe been around church for a while, you've maybe heard stories of David and Goliath and, and King David or uh, David and Bathsheba. We don't, we don't talk about that one much. Or, or David and, and all these things that David did, King of Israel. And if you've never been around church and you've never heard of David, that's fantastic because we're going to talk about him a little bit. We're going to look at his story because I think his story is the basis for our stories. And it's important that we unpack this concept of what our stories are because in John 10, Jesus says this really interesting thing. Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it abundantly. Like, give it to the full. And the challenge sometimes is as I look around and I, I see some Christ followers, I'm like, boy, if that's full, abundant, adventurous, enjoyable life, that's lame. <laughs> like, I don't want that. Because like, we look around sometimes and we see people living these small, weak, sad lives. And I, and I hear Jesus' words like, I've come to give life and give it to the full or give this adventure, give this exciting experience that we call life. And sometimes people don't grab a hold of that. And I don't want that. Like, I want to live this adventure. Are we together on that? Like, don't we want to live this adventure? And Jesus promises it, and I think we can't grab a hold of it if we don't understand our story. So it all starts with understanding my story. We'll look at David's story, and last week as we looked at David's story, it was real clear as David was one of eight brothers, the youngest of eight brothers, and, and, and there was this episode where God said, I'm going to pick a new king of Israel, and so, and so the brothers kind of lined up, and seven of them passed by, and God says, nope. Nope, nope, nope. It was like Mr. America pageant gone wrong. Nope, nope, nope. All the way through all seven of them. And the guy picking looks at the dad and says, is this it? And the dad says, well, there's one out in the field with the sheep, but it's David. Like, you know what? It's David. Said, you know, he's sheeper. He just does sheep, right? And the, and the guy picking says, no, bring him. Like, God said it's one of your kids in seven or no, so bring him. So they bring in David, kind of the, I don't know, the youngest, run to the litter. I, I, I don't know, good-looking kid, whatever. But they bring him, and God says that's the guy. And, and they say, hey, he's the king. And they anoint this kid, uh, next king of Israel. But he's in a weird phase because David has been anointed king of Israel, but he's not actually the king yet. Like the, the king's still alive, Saul. And so David's in this weird phase, and we'll learn in a second that David just goes back to like herding sheep. That's kind of the thing. And, and so we, we looked at that story and, and it was really clear that David's story starts with the reality that God handpicked David. That's a cool thing. We said that's the beginning of our stories as well. That God handpicked me and God handpicked you. And we said, if we don't wrap our heads around that, if you don't believe that, if you're not sure of that, if you're not convinced of that, if you're, you have questions about that and you're thinking, there's no way God handpicked me, our stories will all be broken. And there's no chance of living this full, abundant life in Christ. Because it starts with, our stories begin with the reality that God handpicked you. And that is a cool, cool thing. 
So we started there last week, and, and this week we want to kind of continue on. We want to actually finish, <laughs> finish our stories. Two weeks, we'll tell you a whole story in two weeks. That's pretty, that's pretty good, right? Finish our story this week. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, if you downloaded the app, the North Point app last week, you can go to that. If you didn't download it last week, you can download it right now. You can go to that. All the verses are in there. There's some fill-ins if you're into that. There's a section to take uh, notes. There's this uh, cool section in the app, too. I didn't mention it at the first service because I like you guys better. But um, this cool section in the app where you can give us feedback on what you loved or, or didn't love about the service. We love that, by the way. We love hearing like, what God is doing with you, through you, as, as whatever's happening up here, baptism, songs, communion, speaking, whatever. Like, if you want to share what God's doing, like, we love that. We read that. We pray through that during the week. It's fantastic. So the app has got all that stuff. We're going to have the verses on the screen behind me this morning. If you have a Bible with you or you brought an electronic version of the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to start. Are we together? Are we okay? Are we good? Okay, just checking. First Samuel chapter 16, we just, we just kind of rehashed what we talked about last week, that, that God chose David to be this next king, and we're going to start in verse 14. And my, my bet is, uh, of the episodes that we're going to look at today, I'm willing to bet some donuts on this, that maybe you've not heard these stories before. Because these stories that we're looking at today, sometimes they don't look so good on flannel graph. If you were around church when you were a little kid and you ever remember flannel graph. Or I don't think VeggieTales ever did this story. Right? If you know VeggieTales, I, I don't, we'll see. We'll see if this is new stuff to you. Verse 14, this is what it says. It says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He'll play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Okay, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Let's pause, because we got this strange start to a story. And, and honestly, this section's a little hard to understand. A lot of smart guys kind of debate and disagree over what this is. Because what we know is clear is somehow, since Saul, the current king of Israel, has told God, I don't want any part of you, that somehow there's this evil spirit that is tormenting him. We don't know exactly what that means. And it's weird because the language seems to indicate that God sent it. And there's some debate. Did God send this evil spirit? Did the fact that because God, Saul turned his back on God and God said, okay, Saul, whatever you want. There was just this opening for this evil spirit to torment David. I mean, sorry, to torment Saul. I don't know exactly, but what we know is that somehow... Something demonic, satanic, is tormenting Saul. What does torment mean? Was it a physical ailment that this thing brought on? Was it just that, that his mind raced? Was it that he was having thoughts that were, that were uh, crazy? I, we don't know. We just know that it was a big enough deal for Saul's guys to notice and for them to make some suggestions. So they say, hey, we should find someone that's a good musician, and he'll come and he'll play and you'll feel better. And Saul says, okay. Here we go, verse 18. And so one of the servants answered, uh, I, ha I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem, a coincidence, who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and he's a fine-looking man and the Lord is with him. That's, if, I, if I had two hands, I'd do coincidence with air quotes. Right? This coincidence here that it turns out to be in verse 19. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son, David, who's with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. 
So just this interesting episode is, is the guys are saying, hey, you know, uh, we'll get a kid to play some music, you'll feel better. And Saul says, find me one. And so one of his attendants goes, hey, I know a kid. <laughs> Weird. I, I know a kid and he plays the lyre, harp, guitar. I don't even know what that is. Right? He plays the instrument and he's really good. And he and he's, he's kind of talks okay and he looks okay. He'll fit in real well around here. Should I get him? It just happens to be David. That's interesting because David was anointed king. But David doesn't exactly have, like, any training to be king. Are you with me? Like, how is he going to learn how to be a king? He's just out tending sheep. So he got anointed, but he just went back to tending sheep because he wasn't sure what the next step was. And so this is just an interesting thing that God orchestrates and puts together to get David into the throne room to, to perform this job, this work. And, and now he's going to get to see how the, kind of this whole king thing works, maybe from a negative perspective because Saul's kind of a maniac at this point. We'll see in a second. Right? But David gets involved in this situation David's job changes. He was a shepherd, and now he's going to be um, a, a musical therapist. I don't know, something like that, right? Verse 21. So David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, his dad, saying, Hey, allow David to remain in my service, for I'm pleased with him. And whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. And he'd feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So this kind of strange situation that's created where, where all of a sudden David's in there and he's playing this, this, I don't know how it looks, you know, playing this lyre, and, and Saul actually feels better when Dave plays this instrument. Here's where we get to the interesting story. Jump over to chapter 18. We've got some battles that happen in there. We'll talk about them next week. But if you jump down to verse 6, this is the, the story that I want us to see. It says, it says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, got some battles in there, it says, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And they danced and they sang, here's their song, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry at this refrain. It displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. It's interesting. They're coming back from battles. The women are singing their songs about how brave their men are or whatever. And, and part of that chorus was how, how Saul's slain thousands and David tens of thousands. And we see Saul's character. The current king of Israel, the king that the people picked because they said, we want a king like everybody else. Give us a king. That guy's tall, dark, and handsome. We want that one. And they got Saul, and now we see Saul's character. He uses words like very angry and displeased, and, he, and he's going to keep his eye on David. This king that should be close to God, listening to God's heart, leading the nation, having all the privileges on the planet, he should, he should be different, but he's not. He's this angry, bitter, grumpy, jealous, paranoid person. We're going to read the word fear in a couple of minutes. Saul is afraid. Verse 10. It says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul, and he was prophesying in his house. That, that word could actually be translated rage or raging. He was raging around the house. And while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand. And he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. This is an interesting Father's Day passage, isn't it? <laughs> like, hey, dads, don't do that. Right? 
So, so David's doing his thing, just playing his lyre, and Saul's supposed to be feeling better, but he's in this rage, and, he, and he's sitting there in his throne or whatever with his spear in his hand, and he just sees David, and he just picks it up, he just chucks it at him. Bing. I don't know how it sounds like when a spear hits the wall. Just go with me on this. Right? And not only once, because David did a duck dodge thing or whatever, and it, it like hits here, but it's like Saul grabs another one. Maybe there's a soldier standing next to him. He's like, give me that! And he flings a second one at David. That's a weird day, right? See, David was a shepherd. That was his job. And then he moved to this like musician therapist job and that was his job and it's like this day his job changes to spear dodger i don't know it's like the new thing that he's doing and it says it happened twice it's not like saul just lost his temper at one moment and threw it, it was like oh my gosh david i'm so sorry i didn't mean it i take it back twice jump over to chapter 19 verse 8 some, some Battles happen, and it says in verse 8, once more war broke out. And David went out and fought the Philistines, and, and he struck them with such a force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in hand. Uh-oh. And while David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good on his escape. It's not like a one-time event. This has like become a pattern with Saul. Saul is such a maniac. He's hucking spears at David. And David is dodging and David is diving and David is trying to stay out of the way. And David's new role seems to have become like this, this spear dodger. Why are we looking at this story? Well, here's why we're looking at this story. Because the, 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 the question that seems obvious to me is, is why did David do that? Why did he come back a second time or a third time? Why did, why did David not do what seems to be the most natural thing? And there's two options probably in your head about what the most natural thing is if someone's hucking a spear at you. What are you, you're thinking, well, well, get out would be one. But in my head, and maybe it's the way I'm wired, the most natural thing to do when someone throws a spear at you is to pluck it out of the wall and huck it back. <laughs> right? Men? Boys? Right? not taking that. See, and if at this point right now, you're able to, to move from the physical spear to like a metaphorical spear, you're, you're already thinking, I get spears hucked at me all day long. I'm probably in your job, nobody's throwing a real spear at you, or you should talk with me and we'll help you, but, but you're getting spears hucked at you all the time, right? A word, or a thought, or an eye look, or an email, What's the most natural thing to do when someone throws a spear at me? I'll pull that out of the wall. It's going right back at you. Here's how an author says, um, his name is Gene Edwards. He writes a book called Tale of Three Kings. This is what he says about kings and spear hurling. He says, if your king is truly the Lord's anointed, and if he also throws spears, then there are some things that you can know and know for sure. Your king is quite mad, and he is a king after the order of King Saul. See, David had a question what do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Does it seem odd to you that David did not know the answer to this question? After all, everyone else in the world knows what to do when a spear is thrown at you. Why, well, you pick up the spear and you throw it right back. When someone throws a spear at you, David, just wrench it out of the wall and throw it back. Everyone else does, you can be sure. And in performing this small feat of returning thrown spears, you'll prove many things. You are courageous. You stand for right. You boldly stand against wrong. You're tough and you can't be pushed around. You'll not stand for injustice or unfair treatment. You are the defender of the faith, keeper of the flame, detector of all heresy. You'll not be wronged. 
All of these attributes then combine to prove that you're also a candidate for kingship. Yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed after the order of King Saul. There's also a possibility that some 20 years after your coronation, you will be the most incredibly skilled spear thrower in all the realm, and also by then, quite mad. That hits awkwardly, doesn't it? Wait a minute. See, see, the question we want to wrestle with is why didn't David just become a spear hurler himself? Because spear hurlers get spears hurled. That seems to just be the natural way of it. Why did David not do that? Why didn't he pick up a spear and throw it back? Why didn't he just go after Saul? And here's what I want to suggest this morning. The reason David didn't do that It wasn't because he was weak. It wasn't because he was afraid. It wasn't because Saul uh, somehow had power and and he didn't. David is killing uh, bad guys left and right. He's a manly man. He's a soldier. He's military. He's all those things. But I think David didn't pull the spear out of the wall and throw it back at Saul simply because of this. David was convinced that he was picked by God for a purpose. Much greater than being a spear hurler. See, David had different jobs. He was a shepherd. He, he was this musician therapist. He, he was the spirit dodger. And in all of those things, all of those different jobs, I think David was convinced that he was picked by God for a purpose greater than any of those things. Those are good jobs, like shepherd, good job, musician therapist, good jobs, spirit dodger, maybe not so much, but good, whatever. But David was convinced that he had a purpose so much bigger than that. We want to call that purpose this morning. I want to use a word called king work. Because David knows that he's going to be king. David knows that he's going to perform the job of king. That's going to be his his thing, his drive, his job, his work, his purpose. He knows he has king work to do. And in his head somehow he's thinking king work is not about throwing spears. It's not about watching sheep. I did that. That was wonderful. It's not about uh, playing an instrument, although that's a fantastic thing. It's not being about a therapist, although that's a great thing too, and it's not about dodging spears. It's a bigger purpose, David says. That's, that's what I think I'm all about. And that's the end of David's story. He was picked by God for a purpose. And I'd say the same thing is absolutely true of your story and my story. And it's the end of our stories that we were picked by God for a purpose. Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, and Ephesians chapter 1 lays out this whole concept of being picked. It uses words like chosen and adopted. There's, there's no way of getting around like Carrie Bashar was talking about this morning, the fact that we were adopted, we were chosen by God. And if last week you were able to wrap your head around that and be like, okay, I can get there, I can believe that, I can see that I was picked by God, I get it. Then the end of our story is what Ephesians 2 talks about. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, says, says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works so nobody can boast. I want you to catch the next sentence. Because up till now it simply said that this is who you were. 
You were stuck in sin, and he uses words like craving sin, desiring sin, dead, slave, all that type of stuff. And he says, but in Christ, you're totally different. You're this totally new creation in Christ. You're no longer craving sin. You're no longer driven by that. You're no longer a slave to that. And he says this because verse 10 is the purpose statement. He says, because, or for, or now, or therefore, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. That word in Greek is the Greek word poema, which we get our English word poem from. Like, they just, God just said that you're God's poem. Uh, if you're not a poet, you're like, uh, uh. You're God's poem. Another way to put that is you're God's work of art. God created you for a purpose. He handpicked you for a purpose. You're his work of art. Like, I don't know what kind of art you're into or you do. I, everybody in here, in my estimation, probably performs some kind of art. And you may not think it's art, but it's some kind of art. I don't know if you're into drawing I don't know if you're into dance. I don't know if you create music. I don't know if you go to painting with a twist and you make paintings. I don't know if you build engines. I don't know if you build siding or walls. Those are arts, by the way. I don't know if you write. Whatever you do that kind of brings you alive, that you, like, the art, like, you are God's work of art. You are God's master painting. You are God's final recital. You are God's, I'm not a car guy, so just, Go with me on this. And beautiful engine. (laughs) I don't, like, whatever you, whatever that art is, like, God is saying you are God's work of art. You're his masterpiece. That's a cool, amazing thing. But check out what it says. Not just simply were you picked by God uh, and you are these new things in Christ, but and you're God's uh, 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 work of art. It says created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That language, to do, it's probably better translated walk around in. You're God's masterpiece created to walk around in this whole thing that we call life, doing this thing that I call king work. Because at the end of the day, they were sons and daughters of the king. Like, that's the family business, king work. And so whatever your nine to five is, whatever your, your day job is, whatever you do for a living, that's fantastic. If you're an EMT or you're a law enforcement or you're a, you, you push carts at Walmart or you uh, help get my taco together from Taco Bell or you're a pastor or you're a father or a mother or you're a teacher, whatever you do, that's great, but that's not your purpose. That's your job and it's work and it's great because it gives you opportunity to fulfill your purpose. Your purpose is so much bigger than that. It's this concept of king work. David was a shepherd, and, and David was a, a musician, and David was a spear dodger, but none of those things were his purpose. Like his purpose was so much bigger because he knew like king work is what's coming for me. And the same is true of our stories as well. King work is what we're about. If you're doing the fill-ins on the app, here's a couple of other fill-ins just to get our heads wrapped around this. God handpicked you for a purpose. We said God handpicked David for a purpose. I think it's the end of our stories is that God handpicked you for a purpose. The job you have, the work you do is not your purpose. Your purpose is so much bigger than that. It's king work. You've been picked for a purpose. Eugene Peterson, he's an author, uh, translates the message version of the Bible. He, He says it like this. He says, work derives from and represents the sovereign God who expresses his sovereignty as a worker. King work. 
Sovereigns work to bring order out of chaos, guard and fight for the sanctity of things and people, deliver victims from injustice and misfortune and wretchedness, grant pardon to the condemned and damned, heal sick, by their very presence bring dignity and honor to people and land. God's sovereignty isn't abstract. It's a working sovereignty and is expressed in work. Catch this. All of our work is intended as an extension of and participation in that sovereignty. All of our work is, is, is intended as an extension of and a participation in that sovereignty. When you climb the electrical pole to repair the cables from the storm, that's not your purpose. You, you have an extension of that job, and that is this concept of, of king work. The, the Eugene Peterson uses words for king work like bring order, guard and fight, deliver victims, grant pardon, bring dignity, honor people. A shorter version might be breathe Christ into every and every, anyone in every situation. Breathe Christ into anyone in every situation. So whether you're climbing an electrical pole or you're putting uh, skin back together on the surgical table or helping kindergartners learn the ABCs, like that's what you do and that's fantastic. That's your job. Like your purpose is so much bigger. Breathe Christ into every situation and anyone. Another way to put that might be like this, to know Christ and make him known. Like, that's king work. That's our purpose. This should excite us. I'm excited. I don't know if you catch this or not. I'm looking around. Maybe you're excited. Maybe we have the heat on. But this is cool stuff because what you do in your day job, hopefully you're really good at it. But someday maybe you're going to really stink at it. I don't know what's going to happen. And maybe you get fired from your day job. You know what? It doesn't matter. Your purpose is the same. It matters. You get another job. You got to pay the bills. It's stressful. I don't want to minimize any of that. I just want to say your purpose doesn't change. And one day you're going to hit an age where you're like, I can retire from this job. You're going to buy a place in Florida and you're going to go live there to avoid the mosquitoes. Are there mosquitoes in Florida? I don't actually know. And avoid the snow or whatever you do in Florida. And you know you're going to be retired. And you're going to hear somebody in church talking about king work. And you're thinking, I don't work anymore. <laughs> and you'll sing the hallelujah song really loudly. But you know what? Your purpose hasn't changed. That retirement villa that you're living in with all the other 85-year-olds, your purpose is the same. Breathe Christ into every situation to know him and make him known. You're not defined by your job or your work. This is exciting stuff because we are doing the same thing that the king does. Here's the question. Are you fulfilling the purpose Christ has called you to in your work, in your job, in your career? Not the job or the work or the career, but the purpose that you're called to there. Matter of fact, First Peter says this. This is just interesting. First Peter chapter 2, it, it puts it like this. Peter, by the way, you know Peter? If you remember Peter, he's one of Jesus' disciples. He's like the knucklehead that went out and walked on water just because he thought he could. He, he was the knucklehead that said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then as soon as he got the opportunity, he's like, I don't know that guy, right? This is Peter. Peter says this later on. He says, talking about you, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. He uses words like chosen and royal, priesthood, declare. That's, that's king work language. It's so much more than being a, a pastor or, or a dock worker, Right? Like this idea of king work. It's interesting, and I, and I don't think it's an accident that this talk landed on Father's Day. 
Because dads, like, we have a great opportunity. We have a great opportunity to breathe into our kids this concept. Because see, as dads, if the only thing that we do is teach our kids that they need to be respectful of women and they need to be productive members of society and they need to be uh, uh, able to have a job and earn uh, a couple of dollars, those are important things, by the way. If you have sons, please teach them to be respectful towards women and please teach them to be a productive member of society and to earn a living because I have a daughter that may marry one of your sons. So please teach them that. That's important stuff. I don't want to minimize. But if that's it, if that's all we breathe into our sons, we miss the point because they're called for so much more than that. These guys are called to do king work. It's like know Christ and make him known in every situation. And if you have daughters... Oh, man, if, if all we do as dads is teach our daughters to, to be uh, beautiful young ladies and, 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 and women who are smart and intelligent and fierce and, and to be able to go out and earn a couple of dollars so they can make a living, if that's all we teach our girls, and I say, please, teach, let's teach our girls that. Please, it's vital to teach our girls those things. But if that's it, I failed as a dad. If that's all my girls get out of the... 18 years I spend with them in the home and I fail because, because they're called for so much more than that. So much more than king work. They're not called to be spear hurlers. And they're called to be daughters and sons of the king and to do what the king would have us do. No matter what our job is, no matter what our role is, like dads, we have this incredible privilege of breathing that into our kids, into our sons, and to our daughters, the whole concept of king work. So here's where I want to end today. Uh, just three thoughts, just push them out so that we're, we're leaving maybe thinking about the same things. If you're doing fill-ins on the app, this is what you'll want to put in there. Number one, you were picked for a purpose. You were picked for a purpose. So if last week you were able to wrap your head around the concept that you were handpicked by God, that's awesome. This is step two, man. It's the rest of our story that it's for a purpose. You were not handpicked by God simply to be uh, um, uh, the president of the United States uh, for a season, and that's it. Like you were handpicked by God for a purpose greater than whatever it is you do with your day job, which is good and important stuff. I'm not minimizing that at all. But you're handpicked by God for a purpose. And the thing that should be the call in our heart is, God, what does that purpose look like in every situation? I can say know Christ and make him known. I can say breathe Christ into every situation. We can read Eugene Peterson's thoughts on it. It's this concept of king work. And it it does look different in every situation. And your job and your children and your family and your friendship group and your hobby and your retirement home in Florida all gives you the ability to push king work into those places. So number one, you're picked for a purpose. Number two is this, that purpose is king work. That purpose is king work. We are called to a high high calling. And it's interesting, I, I don't know if this is true or not, I'm just kind of making this up, but I'd be willing to bet and one day when I'm dead and I'm in heaven, I'm going to find David and I'll ask David if this is true of him. But my hunch is, one of those spears that Saul threw into the wall, did, did David eventually come back and pull that out and twist the head of that spear off and put it on his shelf somewhere? So that every day when he looked at that spearhead, he was reminded that he was called for a purpose greater than spear hurling, greater than musician therapist, greater than shepherd, greater than king of Israel, greater than husband, greater than father, greater than military leader, greater than all the things David did. That he looked at that spearhead and he was like, I'm called to something greater, to bring Christ into every and any and every situation, to breathe God into this world that God allows me to 
living. To be God's masterpiece, walking around and just making him known and celebrating him everywhere I go. I don't know if he pulled that spearhead off and put it on his shelf. I think that he did. Maybe he kept it as a life symbol because maybe David was like me and he forgets stuff. And so every day when he turned around in his tent, he saw that spear. He saw that pitcher that was sitting there, that little pot where he got anointed from oil and he was like, man, I was, I've been picked. I've been handpicked by God. And he saw that spear sitting on the shelf. He was like, man, for a purpose. That's, that's just a wondering of mine. And here's the third point. You must find a way to remember your true purpose. You must find a way to remember your true purpose. Can't get wrapped up in all the stuff. There's lots of stuff on the planet, lots of stuff in our area, lots of stuff in our lives, lots of stuff in our countries that we can get wrapped up in, and that becomes our purpose. And I just say, man, let's fight that. Let's remember what our true purpose is as sons and daughters of the king to do king work, to bring Christ into any and every situation. That's a high calling, and it helps us live. It defines and allows us to live. It creates an opportunity so we can live this full and abundant life that Jesus promised. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. We're going to sing a song, and, and all I'm asking is, as we're singing this, I just maybe you'd, you'd, you'd have this conversation with God, going, God, what does that look like for me? What does king work look like at the places that you've put me, the places that I may be stuck or choosing to go? What does that look like for me? So if you'd stand, we'll sing a song, and then we'll be done.